Have you ever experienced or witnessed somebody else experience something that you immediately stopped and said, this is totally and truly unfair. This is pure injustice. This is a blatant lie. What compounds the problem is that sometimes you perceive the person who perpetrated this injustice appears to, appears is the word here, appears to have gotten away with it. Today you don't have to look very far. You don't have to look very far to see how the wicked appear to have the upper hand. You don't have to look very far to see how pure evil appears to be succeeding. How blatant injustice is taking place before our own eyes. Every day we see it. Uh, How many who are in authority administer partial, not impartial, partial justice? Now, the natural thing, when you see the righteous suffers and the unrighteous and the immoral appear to succeed, the natural thing is to experience anger, right? Am I the only one who does? Right, okay, thank you. (laughs) And certainly we are seeing this on a daily basis now. It's on a daily basis. But if this is our own personal experience, then anger becomes intensified. <laughs> listen to me. I love the Word of God. You could not be here for very long to listen to me to know that I absolutely love and adore the Word of God. Chief among the reasons is that it is God's self-revelation. How else do we know God and the character of God other than from the pages of His Word? That is why every word of God from Genesis to maps is inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are other reasons, many, 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 many other reasons. Of course, that is the chief among them. It is God's self-revelation, but also I love the Word of God because it's truly honest. The Word of God speaks absolute truth. The Word of God does not hide reality. The Word of God does not gloss over evil and wickedness and injustice. It does not do that. I love the Word of God because it shows us that even the great saints of old have clay feet. And so when sanctimonious person comes up to you and says, oh, you shouldn't be angry, we point them to Ephesians chapter (laughs) 4, where the Word of God says that when we experience righteous anger, now that's not selfish anger that comes as a result of our pride being injured. I'm talking about righteous anger. 
The Word of God said, it is okay as long as it doesn't lead you to sin. Now, I cannot tell you how many times throughout history, many of you know this. You, you couldn't have read biographies and you couldn't have read the history without seeing this, that so many people, individuals or groups, who allow that righteous anger to lead them into doing something so great for God, to accomplish great things, just for simple, just simple stuff like people got angry at Harvard becoming liberal. They started Yale. <laughs> when Yale got liberal, some people got angry and they started Princeton. And it goes on and on and on. At least for their generation, they were doing the right thing and channeling the righteous anger into doing something wonderful for God. Yeah, I know many of them, and you know too. Hear me out, please. When righteous anger is channeled in a godly direction, it will accomplish amazing things for God. And that's the challenge I want to bring you this morning. I pray to God that everyone at the sound of my voice begin to ask God, how can I channel any righteous anger that I see, that I experience, that I go through, for your glory and for the good of the kingdom of God. Not long ago, I read a story about two college graduates. They happened to be believers, strong believers, and they were talking to each other after a few days after their graduation. And one said to the other, he said, you know, one day I'm going to ask God, why does he allow all that injustice to take place when he could do something about it. Well, his friend said, well, go ahead and ask him. He said, I'm afraid. He said, what are you afraid of? He's going to ask me to do something about it. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because that really hits deep. <laughs> I think it hits home. Let me tell you why it is absolutely necessary that we must channel our righteous anger to doing something about it for the glory of God. Why do I say this? Because if righteous anger is not channeled positively for God, uh, uh, it, 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 it will lead you to resentment. And if resentment allowed to flourish and take root and take hold, it will soon turn into hatred. And I don't have to tell you that hatred has ugly consequences for the person who does the hating, not the object of hate. We just began a short series of messages from the Psalms, encouraging words in discouraging times. And so I want you to turn with me today, please, to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Again, if you don't have your Bible, the Pew Bible, grab one in front of you, page 874, and follow with me because it's important to see that I am staying faithful to the Word of God. Check me out. Because it's such a long psalm, I'm splitting it into two. The message today, the first 20 verses, and then the next message, next Sunday will be verses 21 to the end. Focus with me as we intently look at the Word of God. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. 
For like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Would you want to say it with me? And He will give you the desire of your heart. Wait till I get to that verse. (laughs) Commit your ways to the Lord and trust in Him, for He'll do this. What will He do? He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noon day sun. Be still before the Lord and be patient and and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret. It's the second time. When men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It's the third time. (laughs) It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, and they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The wicked plot against the righteous, and they even gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows the day is coming. The wicked draws the sword and bends the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wickeds. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. For how long? Forever. In times of disasters, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty, but the wicked, but the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish, vanish like a smoke. Oh, Lord, (laughs) you hear me cry to you on a daily basis. In the early hours, and then with my brothers in Christ uh, just a few minutes ago downstairs, that without your Holy Spirit, who authored these words, without Him taking those words and apply them to each heart of everyone here and everyone at the sound of my voice, Lord, I know I can only give your people a headache. And so I pray in the name of Jesus, do not permit one word without the authority of your Holy Spirit using them to
to challenge, to energize, to bless, and to do your work among your people. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said amen. amen. Most biblical historians have agreed that this psalm of David was written toward the end of his life. And if so, and I have no reason to doubt that whatsoever, because you can see from the context, and I'm going to explain to you in a minute, that this probably one of the last, if not the last psalm that David had written. Wrote it at his old age. Now, some of you have been here for a long time. I can look around and I can see. Some of you have been here for over 35 years. Some of you are new. So I want the ones who have been here for a long time to tell the new ones of how my preaching and my teaching has changed in the last 30 years. <laughs> Even my writing. Why is my preaching and my, my, my writing and my teaching differ from 30 years ago? What with greater experience of the time has given me? What with the perspective of time and knowledge that I did not have back then 30 years ago? In fact, my friend and colleague Stan Carter penned me a note a couple of weeks ago, and he said, he was quoting somebody who said, Michael is preaching with vigor today more than 20 years ago. So I wrote back to Stan, I'll let you on a secret, that since 1952, when I preached, 52, my goodness, I was, I was four years old. That's a Freudian slip. I think I've been preaching since I was a little boy. But since 1972, when I preached my first sermon, I have been sprinting. And you know, sprinting, uh, uh, running a marathon, you take your time. You run slowly, then you fast, and you're slow and fast. And I've never run a marathon, but I know all about it. I was hoping one day I'll do it, but never got to it. But right now, I said to Stan, I said, I'm sprinting. I'm sprinting. Why? Because I can see the finishing line. Amen. Amen. And I think back to David. No doubt as he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this last, if it's last or the, one of the last Psalms, he was reflecting back on the years that he was a fugitive running from King Saul, running all over the country, all over the place. And during those years, no doubt, he asked himself many times and then later, many times later, how come I knew that prophet Samuel came to my father's house as a young boy and he anointed me to be king of Israel? Why did I do this? How come that I have been so faithful to Saul and yet he wanted to kill me? How come Saul was living in the palace of the king and while I was sweating it out in the caves and in the desert? And as David reflects back in his life, he realizes that things do not turn out the way they appear on the surface. Are you with me? Things do not turn out as they appear on the surface. And so, he gives us an encouraging words in the middle of our discouraging times that comes from hindsight. 
And so, my beloved friends, when you see so many discouraging signs, when you feel discouraged, or whatever circumstances you're personally going through or nationally you're going through, stay calm and cool. Do not sweat the temporary things that evil and wicked people are exhibiting now. Do not turn your righteous anger into hatred that will only hurt you. Do not waste your time fuming and steaming over the appearances. For that's all they are, appearances. What we see, just appearances. Listen to me. God who sees the future, He knows that the future is very different from what we are seeing now. And so before I get carried away with this short introduction, let me get to the message. (laughs) Four things in those 20 verses that I want to share with you as I delved into the Word of God, allowed it to teach me and speak to me, and so that I am able to speak to you. The first thing I want to tell you is this. Be encouraged because of what you cannot see, verses 1 to 3. Secondly, be encouraged because of what you already have, verses 4 to 7. Thirdly, Be encouraged because of what is coming to you. Verses 8 to 11. Fourthly, be encouraged because of the coming judgment of the wicked. It's verses 12 to the end, to 20, 12 to 20. Stay encouraged because of what you cannot see. Look, listen listen to me. If you can only see the wicked prosper, that's all you can see, that the wicked is prospering and the righteous is suffering. If that's all you can see, you would be like a blind person who thinks that the whole world is dark. Or like somebody in a dry well, and you know, that's how they used to punish people in the old days, put them in a dry well and give them food and water, and they did this with Jeremiah. If you're living in a a well, and all your world is going to look like a little blue circle, because that's all you see, that's your world. But, but... What you need to do is get yourself a pair of spiritual glasses. Get yourself a pair of spiritual binoculars. Start seeing with spiritual eyes. Then soon you'll discover how miserable and unhappy the wicked are. Soon you'll discover uh, that those who might give the appearance to be happy and prideful and successful, uh, deep down they are angry and they are guilt-ridden. Deep down 
Their conscience is burning and is on fire. Deep down, their bluster is just mere appearances. Deep down, they feel a volcano of guilt inside of them below the surface. Why? Because they've been created in God's own image. And no matter what they say on the surface, no matter what the bluster they come up with, deep down, they have to be eaten up on the inside. Listen to me. And that is why they will never be satisfied by any measure of acceptance of their evil and wickedness. They will never be satisfied. If you accepted them, that will not be enough. If you approve of what they do, that will not be enough. If you praise what they do, their evil and their wicked ways, that will never be enough. Even if you place them on a pedestal, that will not be enough. It will never be enough. And that is why the psalmist uses the word, do not fret, three times. I pointed out to you as I was reading, three times. Don't fret, don't fret, don't fret. No doubt David was thinking in the, in the benefit of hindsight, he's probably thinking, why did I waste my time fretting over the wickedness uh, and, the, and their design against me? Why did I ever waste my time fretting over what Saul was trying to do? Why did I ever fret over the fact Absalom's design uh, uh, against the, 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 the palace and, and, the, and the kingdom? Listen, even secular experts are saying that envy and jealousy and anger all the hurt the person who actually experiences these things, not the object of these things and the object of anger. Beloved, listen to me. Envy always destroys the envious. It destroys them emotionally, destroys them mentally, destroys them psychologically, and even physically at times. A godly woman who was trying to cheer up her brilliant, intelligent daughter who would not conform to the mob. If you've ever been to high school, have kids who went to high school, you know there is a mob. High school kids will tell you about the mob in the school. The mob are always there. And she would not conform to them, and therefore they bullied her and were ostracizing her. And the mom sat her down, and she said, what you're experiencing now is only for a short period of time. You will see what I mean when, they go to, when you go to the 20th anniversary reunion. <laughs> so be encouraged because of what you cannot see. Secondly, be encouraged because of what you have. Look at verses 4 to 7. If you have ever analyzed a fretting situation, and I have, I did fret. I mean, the, 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 the teaching that I'm bringing you is something that I walked through and I know it. There are times when I analyze the fretting situation. And if you do analyze it, I am absolutely sure you agree that unless you deal with it positively, either you deal with it with a positive response of doing something about it, 
or submitted to the Holy Spirit. Submerge it under the Holy Spirit. Unless you do that, you will discover that fretting does not stay as fretting. It will become an intense irritation. And that intense irritation, if it's not dealt with, it will lead to full-blown anger. And if anger festers, it will produce hatred. And you don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want that. As I said earlier, hatred has severe consequences. You say, well, Michael, how can I stop this process dead in its track? Well, I'm glad you asked me because you come to the right place. I'm the expert on that. I'll tell you something that was very beginning of my learning. This from the Word of God. Back in the mid-'80s, this is before the Church of the Apostles, I happened to be counseling a person who is, his resources is far more than I ever hoped to be or hoped to have. And I'm just giving it to you a blunt, blunt experience. But he was talking to me that he's living in fear and terror that he's going to the poorhouse. And I said, well, wait a minute. I mean, just talking about stuff. <laughs> you got so much of that stuff. But let me tell you, I'll cut the long story short, and I'll tell you this. As I began to analyze and look through what is really troubling him and, and causing him all kinds of anxieties, is that he comparing himself with somebody he knows that's a lot richer than he is. And every time he compares her, he's going to the poorhouse. <laughs> and that's what really caused him to fret. He had forgotten what he has. But even if he has none of that stuff, he has Jesus. And Jesus is everything. When Jesus becomes your everything, he'll give you everything that you need. Look. Look at verse 4 with me, please. Delight yourself in the Lord. Can you say that with me? Delight yourself in the Lord. And then he's going to give you the desire of your heart. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how many preachers are here preach on the second half of the verse. He'll give you the desire of your heart. He'll give you the desire of your heart. All you need to do is just you name it and you claim it, and you blab it and you grab it. <laughs> just, just say it. He'll give you the desire of your heart. They leave conveniently. They leave out the first half of the verse, the most important part of the verse. Delight yourself in what? Your net worth? Delight yourself in what? Your, your achievements? Delight yourself in your accomplishments? Delight yourself in, in, in what you really want? No. Delight yourself in the Lord. How do you delight yourself in the Lord? How do you delight yourself to the Lord, in the Lord? Another great question. <laughs> when you see the Lord as all you need, you begin to learn how to delight yourself in the Lord. This is just the beginning. Okay, some of you are going to have a hard time with this, oldies. Listen to me. Remember the old days, your romantic days? Remember that? 
Some of the younger ones are still, still there. But you remember, remember those romantic days? My goodness, I did my fair share of, of, of weddings in the early days of this church, and, and I've seen people, heads in the cloud. My goodness, they're so much in love with each other that they, they're stepping on each other to please each other and delight themselves in the other. I mean, they feel delighted in the delight of their lover, lover and, 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 and when uh, they're newly in love, and each is just delighted in the other. And then they get married. <laughs> I don't know about you. For 54 years, I'm as romantic as ever. Right? <laughs> She's laughing. <laughs> she has a chance of speaking. She would say, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Beloved, when you delight yourself in the Lord, you want to do what He wants to do. You want to go where He wants to go. You want to please Him above everybody and everything else. Think about this with me, please. If my desire is His desire, and if it's my will is to do His will, if my delight is His delight, if my joy is His joy, if my fulfillment is His fulfillment, in other words, it's everything to me. When that happens, when that happens, he will give, you, give me the desire of my heart. More of him. More of him. More of himself. Listen to me, please. That delighting of yourself in the Lord is impossible. Listen to me. It is impossible to comprehend by those people who only come to the Lord when they want something from Him. You cannot comprehend that. Look at verses 5 and 6. Commit all your ways to the Lord. Trust Him and He will act. He will bring forth your vindication in the open. So much so. Here's a Yusuf translation that is going to be as clear as the noonday sun in July in the Middle East. Now, if you've never been there, I'm sure most of you haven't. I have. I'm telling you, it's blinding. Even with glass, sunglasses, you can't, you, your eyes can't squint. It is so bright. You can't comprehend this. Until you stood there in noontime, in the middle of summer, in the desert. I remember back in 2016, 2017, a friend of mine, not in this country, is another country, a man that I've known for many years, a great steward of God's blessings, a man who wanted to honor God and serve God, and he was falsely accused and was dragged into the court. I knew. He knew, everybody who really knew him knew that this is a false accusation. And so I said to him, I sent him an email and I said, you know, I'm going to be claiming Psalm 37, 6 
every single day until it takes place, believing that it will take place. It will be as clear as the noonday. Praise God. After 10 miserable months in the courts, the judge declared his total innocence. Some of you might be feeling that you are fretting because you have not had a fair shake. You, 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 you're not getting your just reward, or you might have been passed over for a promotion that belongs to you, and, and you got a raw deal, and, and you are the object of gossip, or you are the object of false accusations, and, and you're carrying that burden. Remember this. The judge of the universe is watching. The judge of the universe will not be silent forever. He's not silent. He's working. But for you and for me, sometimes we think he's silent. But he will not be silent even to us forever. The judge of the universe will publicly vindicate you and exonerate you. The judge of the universe will publicly honor you, whether it is in this life or the next. He will lavishly bless you, whether it's in this life or the next. Because that's who he is. He's a God of justice. So be encouraged because of what? Hoo-wee. I think you sapped all my energy. And you lost yours. Be encouraged because of what? Can you see the first one here? Can you, can you all see the screen? Be encouraged because of what? Be encouraged because of what? Be encouraged because of what? Verses 8 to 11. When you delight yourself in the Lord, He will not only vindicate you, exonerate you, justify you, He will reward you. Did you get that? He will reward you. You will not only inherit a piece of real estate, a piece of land. I know the Bible said the land. That's in the Old Testament. Now, you got to amplify this from the light of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. You're not going to just inherit a little piece of land. <laughs> You're going to reign and rule with Christ in the whole universe. <laughs> you will inherit what Christ inherits. You will receive what the Father gives to Jesus. And so, to those who cause you to be to experience righteous anger. They will go up in a puff of smoke. While you are thoroughly blessed, they will be like soot. You know what a soot is? See, you know, after the fire in your fireplace, and try to sweep it. (laughs) 
You know, I know in our secular culture, I understand, I know in our instant gratification culture, in our immediate uh, response type of culture, I know it is hard to see the unseen. I know that. (coughs) But listen to me. The unseen is more real than the seen. Why are we also followers of Jesus, right? I know it's difficult to swim upstream. I know that it's difficult to swim upstream against the evil and the wicked streams of culture. I know that. I know it's easy at times to say, why bother? I'll just give up. I know that. I know it's hard to buck the evil system. I know that. I know that we find our circumstances to be consuming at times. I know that sometimes the headline news saps your energy, and you can't even keep on reading. I know that we want to see results right away. But God's Word, spoken through David, is telling us, that everything you've longed for is yours, but not yet. All of the justice and the righteousness that you ever wanted and longed for is yours, but not yet. All of the success that you envied the wicked for is really yours, but not yet. All the righteousness and the justice that you wished for, they're all yours, but not yet. Question, who are these meek, the meek person that he's talking about here? You know, for years, and it continues, for some strange reason, it just persists. A lot of people, because of the word, I guess, rhyming, they think meek means weak. And when you see somebody weak, you say, oh, he's meek. No, 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 no. No, no, it's just because the rhyme doesn't mean the same thing. If you got that, say amen. amen. Moses was called the meekest man, and yet he was far from weak. Uh, he looked at, in the eye of the most powerful man on the face of the earth at the time, and he looked at him and he said, let my people go. So listen, meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means power under control. Say that with me, power under control. When you have it in you to hurt somebody and you don't do it. When you have it in you to take revenge, but you don't do it because you're meek, because you have power under control of the Holy Spirit. And that same power is the one that makes you bow only to God, that makes you bend the knees only to God alone, that makes you uh, power belongs to God alone. And so be encouraged because of what? Be encouraged because of what? Be encouraged because of what? And fourthly, be encouraged because of (sighs) 
Listen, it's coming. It's coming. I can see it. I can feel it coming. I can feel the judgment coming. But don't take my word for it. It doesn't matter what I felt or what I, th- I think. Look at verses 12 to 21. Here David is telling us that if you just could see what God sees, <laughs> that's really what he said. If you can see what God sees, you would not waste an nanosecond fretting. If you know what God knows about the future, you would not waste a nanosecond in envy and jealousy of the appearance of success of the wicked. If you see what God sees, you too would laugh like God. Now, the word laugh here is the same word that's used in Psalm 2. In 2019, I preached a message on Psalm 2. He who sits on high laughs. In fact, the old translation said, he who sits on high laugheth. We're going to do some laughing right now. (laughs) Because that word really does not mean a pleasant laughter. You know, sometimes we hear something funny and we laugh, and it's a pleasant laughter. It's it's joy. The Bible talks about in Proverbs. It's great to laugh. I even laugh at my joke that nobody else understands. (laughs) But this word here means the laughter of derision. It's the laughter of derision. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Let's do it. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. That's that's what you just did what the Bible said. You too, if you see what God sees and know what God knows, you too, like God, you would laugh at the foolishness of the wicked. You too would laugh at the cruel joke that Satan is playing on the wicked. I'll ask you a question, and I'm going to tell you something I have done. But you ask yourself, no raising of the hands. Have you ever become angry, I mean really become angry and frustrated at some information that you have received, I mean really become angry? I think we all have. I know I have, because I just happen to be standing here, I'll tell you the truth. I have, but only to discover, only to discover later, sometimes not long later, sometimes long time later, that the information you received is totally false or even partial information. Do you know how you felt at that time? I'm not going to let you answer me. I'm going to tell you how I felt. (laughs) I made a fool of myself that I got so angry over false information or partial information. It was not true. I overreacted at the wrong information. The same way, when you fret and you get angry at the success of the wicked, same way, why? Ah, because we have the wrong information. Are you with me? Are you with me? I know you're there, I can hear you breathing. (laughs) We've got the wrong information. We have received very partial information. And you're overreacting at this false 
or partial information instead of what you should do. You know what you should do? You should actually weep. You should weep over the judgment of the wicked. You should weep over the horrors that are awaiting them. You should weep over the dreadful horror and judgment. I know we don't weep over sinners anymore. There was a time when the church of Jesus Christ wept over sinners. A wise older gentleman years ago said to me, he said, there are more tears shed in the movie theaters over imaginary tragedies than in the churches over real tragedies. In the fall, I'll be preaching on heaven and hell. And when you dig deep into the Scripture and you know what that's all about, you will weep over them. You'll feel so sorry for them, not envious. Winston Churchill once said, he said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. And so, my beloved friends, as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table to remember the shed blood, the torn flesh of our Savior, perfect, sinless Son of God, for our sins, as we prepare our hearts to do that, I know and you know that we live in times when we have confused reality with fiction. We really have. So many people are so confused. What we think is reality and permanent, God scoffs at. Why? Because He knows what we see is neither real nor permanent. Is neither real nor permanent. God sees and knows of the end of the wicked, and that is why he could laugh at their foolishness. And so be encouraged as you ask yourself, where are all the powerful men in the past that terrorized the world? From all the big names of Hitler and Mussolini and, 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 and Stalin, and, and even I remember clearly Nikita Khrushchev, Kochov, the, the head of the Soviet Union in the United Nations, when he took his shoes off and he pounded the table and he terrorized half the world. Where are they? Well, their bodies are rotting in the grave and their souls are in a state of torment and suffering. Think about this. And that will go. And that will go on forever and ever and ever. There is no end to the fire or the worms or the loneliness or the emptiness, the darkness of hell. That's why we need to weep over them. Are you with me? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father.
We certainly weep over the ones that in our families, the ones dear and near to us who are being misled and misguided. And Lord, we literally weep tears of, because we know you bottle our tears. We know that you put them in golden bowls. They're precious to you. And that is why in the last day you're going to wipe all our tears. So we weep over those who don't know you or wandering away from you who knew you once and then running away. Father, we weep over them. Because we know you're a God of mercy and you're a God of grace. And you can answer our prayers on their behalf to repent and turn to you. We beg you, Father, in these last days, do something so magnificent, so great, and bring the lost home. And as for those who cause your children a great deal of fretting and suffering, we know their end. But remind us afresh that we should be feeling sorry for them instead of angry with them. For, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite all our...